Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. I want to teach you something today that I never thought I would teach you how to do. Today, I want to teach you how to create conflict. Today, I want to teach you how to create conflict in church. We know, right, just being alive, that we can't escape conflict. If you've been around church for a while, you know that there's conflict in church. There's conflict in church all the time. You know, recently this um, uh, blogger, he uh, made a post on Twitter and he said, hey, can you guys just give me some of the reasons why there was conflict in your church? And so a bunch of people started posting all of these reasons why their church uh, had conflict. Let me just share some of them with you. One church was in conflict because the worship pastor's beard was too long. And so people started arguing about the length of a worship pastor's beard. By the way, these are true. Uh, one church started a conflict and arguing and bickering with one another because you couldn't wear black. Because a group was saying that black is the devil's color. So you can't be wearing black. I guess I wouldn't be welcome at that church at all. Uh, one church got really upset because the church budget was off by... 10 cents. And so there was a major uproar that the church's budget was off by 10 cents and they were just completely in conflict with one another. Finally, someone said, you know what? I'm just going to put 10 cents in. All right, we're settled. We're good to go. One church was in conflict because they changed the coffee. They went from Folgers to Starbucks and there was seriously almost a church split over the coffee. Uh, one church got really uh, upset at each other and started, you know, in, they were in conflict because of the clock. There was a, a big old clock in the church, in the, in the auditorium. And one group said, hey, we need to take that down. The other group was like, no, it was donated by someone special. And so they were going back and forth and back and forth over a clock. There's a lot of different reasons why churches find themselves in conflict. And yes, those are very silly type of conflicts, but they're true and real nonetheless, and I've, I've experienced some, and, and I've heard of some. And now there's some more serious um, type of conflicts that churches experience. For example, maybe there's a theological or doctrinal uh, conflict in the church, maybe involving some serious tier one type of maybe heresy in the church, and I, I, I can see that. Maybe there's an abuse of power by the leadership, and so there's conflict there. Or maybe there is some kind of moral failure on the part of a staff or a pastor, and there's conflict there as well. Or, or maybe whatever it is, but there's some serious things. Maybe there's a, a change in direction, right? We don't like change, and so I, being in ministry for a while, I know that sometimes when the, the, the leadership of the church changes uh, direction, it causes conflict because a lot of times we don't like change. And for whatever reason, there's conflict in the church. And if you, like I said, if you've been around church for a while, you know that there's a lot of conflict. So I was thinking about this idea of how to create conflict. The reality is that through this message, uh, I would really encourage you not, not how to create conflict, but what not to do instead of create peace. But we're going to see today in 3 John 
of someone who was creating conflict. And by his example, may we do the complete opposite. Uh, I, I believe that a lot of, uh, the, the, at the core, at the core of a lot of church conflict revolves around this one thing that we're going to cover in today. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see that one thing flesh itself out, that one major cause of church conflict. We're going to see itself flesh itself out within the text today. And I believe this is so relevant for our church and for our lives and for Christians uh, today. Again, we're going to continue in our third John series, the three-part series through the letter of John. If you remember last week, we talked about uh, this guy named Gaius or Gaius, depending, you know, they, they kind of say it different, but I see Gaius. And uh, he was uh, commended by the apostle John for walking in the truth. And if you remember, the reason that he was walking in the truth uh, was because he was showing hospitality and generosity and support to workers of the truth. There was a bunch of traveling uh, traveling pastors and preachers and evangelists in the region. And so the apostle John would send them out and he would hope and pray that Gaius would receive them uh, into his home. And he did. And so the apostle John was like, man, I'm commending you. You're walking in the truth. I rejoice greatly in what you're doing. And now we're going to see something completely opposite. We're not going to see somebody walking in the truth. We're going to see somebody walking in darkness and in evil and in division. And that's what we're going to see today. How to create conflict, a perfect model of how to create conflict in the church. But before we do that, I just want to stop, pause our hearts for just one moment and pray. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for your son, Jesus, the one who has the name above every name. And I pray today that you would speak to us through this example of diatrophies on how to create conflict in the church. May we do the opposite. God, I pray you would speak to us powerfully through your spirit, through your word. Your word is infallible, inerrant. And God, we submit under it. And I pray you would challenge us in those areas that we need challenging and sharpening. And I pray you would encourage us in those areas where we're doing well. May we continue to do that, not in our own strength, but by your strength, by your grace, by your spirit. We devote this, these next few minutes to you, God, and to your word. We love you. We thank you. And all of God's people said, amen. Like I said, my, my, my goal here is to really focus in on that, that idea of what's really at the core of a lot of church conflict and how that one thing just kind of begins to overflow and spread in a lot of ways. So if you have your Bible, let's go to 3 John. 3 John, we're going to be looking at only two verses today, verses 9 and verse 10. Verse 9 and verse 10, it says this. It says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. 
So the apostle John has written a previous letter to this man named Diotrephes. We don't have that letter. We don't really know what that letter's all about, but we have some idea because of the context of 3 John. Uh, we believe that, and most scholars believe that this lost letter to Diotrephes uh, was a letter of, of, of essentially asking Diotrephes to show hospitality to these traveling workers, uh, these traveling preachers, these traveling evangelists. And so the Apostle John writes uh, this letter to Diotrephes that is now lost. Now, we don't know much about this guy, this troublemaker, Diotrephes. We don't know much about him, but we do know uh, that he held some type of leadership within the church. We don't think he was an elder. We don't think he was a pastor. Most uh, theologians believe that uh, he the church met at his, his house because back then that's how churches would meet in homes. And so uh, he probably had held some power, some type of power and influence and authority because the church met at his house. And so we don't know much about him. But, but here's that one thing that I said that I think lies at most of the conflict in the church. He says this, he said, John says, who likes to put himself first? Diotrephes likes to put himself first. I believe this is the ultimate cause of a lot of church conflict, that someone in the church likes to put themselves first. Someone in the church, whether in a leadership position or just a lay person in the church, is power hungry. Diotrephes was a man who was power hungry, who was self-centered, who was selfish, egotistical, who only cared about himself and not the traveling preachers that needed his help. Diotrephes cared about himself and not about the gospel. He was prideful. He was arrogant. He, would, he wanted to be in control. He wanted to be first. But do you remember Jesus' words in Mark chapter 9, verse 35? He says, whoever wants to be first shall be last and shall be the servant of all. He's doing completely the opposite of what Jesus has said. So there's pride. He's power hungry. He wants to put himself first. I remember when I was um, a youth pastor, a family ministry pastor, and I had to fill in a, a, a staffing spot uh, for the kids ministry. And there was two contenders, right? There was two contenders fighting over this spot. And they, they, wanted this, they wanted this spot. They wanted this title of children's pastor. And I'm telling you, man, like I, I didn't even offer them this, the, the opportunity or whatever, man, because they were so harsh to one another. And they were even harsh to me. And they were trying to manipulate their way up to the top to get this spot. And boy, did they cause some conflict within the church. Why? They wanted that position. They wanted that. They were willing to do whatever they could. They were willing to slander the other person. They were willing to, to, to spread rumors and gossip about the other person so they wouldn't get the job. Both didn't get it. But that's the idea here, just pride and power. And church, may I just remind you of your motives within the church May I remind you that if you are to bring something up to the leadership, man, we are so welcome. We really mean that. 
Man, man, we got to check our motives. Why do we want to see something different in the church? Why do we want to go this direction? Is it selfish ambition? Is it to put ourselves first? Or is it for the greater good of the church and the greater good of the gospel? May we check our motives if they're self-centered, selfish, prideful, and egotistical because at the core of all conflict, man, lies that desire and ambition for power. Now, we're about to see how this ambition for power just gets worse, right? Because we know that our motives don't just stay motives. Uh, They turn into actions, right? Like it starts at the heart, but it doesn't stay at the heart. And we're going to just see how Diotrephes, man, just causes so much conflict because of his pride, because of his ego, because he's so I-centered instead of we-centered. Notice what, notice what uh, the Apostle John says. He says, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. That's the first thing. He's so prideful. He's so self-centered that he does not acknowledge the Apostle John's authority. Now, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8, we know that the apostles were given authority to lead the church. And so as Diotrephes does not acknowledge the Apostle John's authority, he's not only surpassing the Apostle John's authority, he's also trying to surpass Christ's authority in the church because he's the one who established the church structure, that it was the apostles that were gonna have authority. And so to deny the apostle John's authority is to deny the authority of Christ in the church. And so you have this man, Diotrephes, who wants nothing to do with the apostle John, does not submit to his authority whatsoever. And I don't wanna camp around this this topic too much because if you remember a couple of weeks ago, our elder Greg Cox spoke about submission. He did a whole sermon on submission, on it being the will of God for our lives, and he did a tremendous job. And one of the things he said that really stuck with me is that when we submit to authority, we don't give up our power, we give up our pride. And that really stuck with me because it's so true. And when you really think about it, Jesus himself, God wrapped in the flesh, was submissive to the Father's will. So submissiveness is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of humility and strength. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Every single leader, every single church pastor is going to have to give an account for those in his church. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Submissiveness to the leadership of the church So I just want to encourage you, believer, to submit to the leadership of the church joyfully. Make it easy for the elders of this church to lead you well and to lead you joyfully. And thankfully you have. There is not one person in this church right now that we haven't been able to lead with such joy. You guys are just amazing. 
Now, obviously, as Greg said a couple weeks ago, obviously, if the elders and the leadership of the church are leading you in a way that is contrary to God's word, I think at that point, that's a red flag. But for the most part, Scripture is called believers to submit to the authority. And here, Diotrephes is not doing so. He's not submitting to the authority of the apostle John. So that's the first thing that flows out of this idea to be first. Look at, let's look at verse 10. It's going, to just, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. He says this, So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. He's talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. It just gets worse. Not only does he want to be first, and he's not willing to submit to the Apostle John's authority, it gets worse and worse. But notice what the Apostle John says. He says, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. Some translations actually say, when I come. So there's, so if I come or when I come. But the idea is that the Apostle John is not going to let Diotrephes get away with this. He's not going to let him get away with this. He's going to confront Diotrephes for what he is doing. He's going to bring it up. You know, one of my mentors, Pastor Joe, Joe Darigal, once told me, he said, Johnny, he says, great leaders run towards problems, not away from them. And I believe that is so true. Great leaders don't run away from problems. They run towards them. And that's something that I've, I've just kept in my mind and I've applied in my ministry and even in my relationships. That if you continue to sweep problems under the rug, man, they're still there. And they're only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so we got to run towards the problem with truth and love and grace and gentleness and all of that stuff. We got to run towards it. Even this applies even in your marriage. There's something in your marriage that's an issue. You don't run from it. You run towards it. You, you handle it. You figure it out. You talk about it. You don't run from it. You don't keep sweeping things under the rug. In your business, in your workplace, Right? You, you, you run towards problems, and that was what the Apostle John is saying. He's like, hey, man, I'm going to come and talk to him about it and deal with it. Now, why is he going to deal with it? Because the Apostle John is some kind of egotistical person as well? Because the Apostle John has a bone to pick with diatrophies? No, no, no. Because the Apostle John is all about the gospel. Because the Apostle John is all about the kingdom. Think about what diatrophies is doing. He's creating division. There's a lot of little house churches in this region of modern day Turkey. And if the apostle John doesn't figure it out and doesn't address the situation, what's going to happen? It's going to spread. It's going to spread like wildfire. And he's like, man, I can't let that happen. Christ died for his bride, for his church. He died to bring people together in unity, not in division. And so the apostle John's like, I'm going to deal with this. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says that Diotrephes, 
putting himself first, does, does not acknowledge his authority. Look what he says. He says that he's talking wicked nonsense against us. He's gossiping. He's maliciously gossiping about the Apostle John. So if you want to create conflict in your church, have a me, myself, and I attitude and motive, if you want to create conflict in the church, do not submit to the ordained leadership structure of the church. If you want to create conflict, begin to badmouth and gossip about the leadership of the church. That's how you create conflict in a church. Diotrephes was maliciously gossiping and spreading rumors about the Apostle John and those who he was associated with. And it's, it's a bunch of nonsense. It's false. It's outrageous what he's doing. I was reminded of James chapter 5 about the power of our tongue. The power of our words. James chapter 3 verse 5 says this, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Our words are powerful in that they could create some serious conflict. How much conflict could have been avoided if a person would have just hesitated just one second and not said something that they shouldn't have? Have you ever said something that you shouldn't have had that caused some conflict? Whether it's in the church, in your marriage, in your life. My wife is like, amen, he does it all the time. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm perfect. I don't, of course we all have. Man, the, our words are powerful. And we're, we're called to use our words to encourage, to build up, to lift up, not to slander and cause conflict. And especially to the leaders. I really encourage you from a pastor's perspective, if there is an issue, go to the leadership. Go to the elders. We're open to hear you. It gets worse. Diotrephes, man, he's a bad guy. He's just a bad, bad guy. He's not walking in the truth. He says, he's talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that. So he's not even content with what he's doing. He's not content with slandering the leadership of the church. He, he's not content with not submitting to authority. I mean, this Diotrephes is greedy. He's greedy. All this selfish ambition never, ever satisfies. These wrong motives never satisfy. It's like he's always thirsty. It's a thirst that he could never quench. And look what he does. He refuses to welcome the brothers. He refuses to welcome the brothers. Remember last week we talked about how, how these traveling preachers were going around and, 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 and Gaius was, was um, uh, commended to bring them in and, and it was a good thing that was walking in the truth. Well, Diotrephes is the total opposite of Gaius. He's not receiving these brothers. 
Now, did you notice something in the text? Did you notice the progression in Diotrephes? His pride begins with the heart, right? But it doesn't stay there. He begins to slander the Apostle John. So it goes from his heart, the wrong motives, to slanderous evil speech to what? His actions. His actions. You see that progression. Now he is behaving in a way that is inconsistent with the believer. Again, our motives don't just stay here. They'll come out in our speech and in the way we act. And that's what we see in Diotrephes. He was egotistical. He was slanderous. And now he refuses to welcome the brothers. This is, this is so terrible, what he's doing. Because if you remember from last week, these, these traveling ministers, they weren't dependent upon the support and the help of unbelievers. That's what the text says. They weren't, they weren't dependent upon that help. They were dependent upon the help of believers. And so now they're being kicked out and refused help. Where are they going to go? And so what Diotrephes is essentially doing here is hindering the gospel. It's hindering the advancement of the kingdom of God. He doesn't stop there. He says, and not only does he refuse the brothers, but also stops those who want to. He stops the people in his congregation, in his church that want to help the brothers out. It's like, kind of like guilty by association, right? Like, okay, you want to help these traveling pastors, these traveling evangelists, these traveling, you know what, get out of here too. Because that's what he does next. It says that he stops them and he puts them out of the church. Think about that. Oh, you, you want to help these traveling preachers, you're on, you're on team John. Well, you know what? Get out of here. Get out of my church. And he kicks them out. He gets rid of them. Go find your support somewhere else. This is my church. Go find another church. And here's the other thing. Back in those days, they didn't have churches on every street corner like we do now. Well, I'm just going to go down the street and go to that church. It didn't work that way. They were spread out. They were far. It was inconvenient. Travel wasn't as easy. So what he was doing was kicking some people out of the church, not supporting uh, these traveling ministers. That was tough. Creating conflict, creating division. So what can we learn this passage on how to create conflict. I think at the core of it, I think this is what we can learn. That I divides, but we multiplies. I think that's what we can really learn from this passage. That I divides. Gaius had this I mentality. He wanted to be first. It's about me. I want the power. I want the prestige. I want the recognition. And what did that cause? Nothing but division. Nothing but conflict within the church. But Gaius, he had a we mentality, didn't he? 
He brought these people into his house. He submitted under the authority of the apostle John. He supported these people with food and clothing and finances and transport and everything that they needed. He was selfless. He was completely the opposite because he had a we mentality. And what happened with the gospel? It spread. You and I are here. It had to have spread because of people like Gaius. who said, I'm not going to have that I mentality. I'm not going to create conflict in the church. Because it's about the kingdom. It's about the gospel. And so I just want to encourage you today, believer, church member, not to create conflict, but to create peace, to create unity. And we do, we, we're called to do the complete opposite that Diotrephes has done. Not to be about me first, but people first. To walk in humility, to serve others sacrificially, to put others before our needs. How can I help you? How can I serve you? It's not about me, it's about you. To lovingly submit and joyfully submit under the leadership of your church so that they can lead you with joy. The scripture says it's, it's no advantage to you, to you if you're giving the leadership a hard time. It's no advantage to you, it's no advantage to them. I encourage you to live in such a way that when you do call the elders of this church and they see your, your, their, uh, your name on their phone, that they're not like, oh my goodness, but that they lovingly like, man, I can't wait to talk to this person. May we be people who use our words not to slander and gossip and cause wildfires within the church, but to encourage and to build up one another with our words. May we be people who advance the mission of the gospel because eternity is at stake here, because eternity matters. And not like Diotrephes who hindered the gospel by being selfish and just thinking about himself, but like Gaius who's sacrifice for the mission for people's lives because people need Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And not only are we called to do that and do we ought to do that, but guess what, believer? We can do that. We have the power to do that. We are able to walk in truth. We are able to live in a way that's pleasing to God not in our own strength, not in our own power. We're not going to be humble in our own strength. That's pretty hard to do. But only by knowing the truth, by knowing Christ, by being dependent upon him, by knowing him intimately, not, by, by loving and adoring and pursuing him, can we walk in this truth. Not only knowing the truth, but being in the truth, by renewing our minds with scripture, we can walk in the truth. The truth of creating unity and not division and not conflict. And let me just remind you of one thing, church, as I close here. 
I think this is our greatest motivation for keeping the unity of the church, for keeping peace, for walking in the truth. It's this. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, I want to read this to you. This is about Jesus. There's no better example for us than this passage right here of what it is to be humble and others focused, something that Diotrephes was not. It says this, it says, so if, there's, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I mean, that's, that's Gaius right there. It's not Diotrephes. Verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And, and he gives Jesus as an example of this humility. He says this, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know what that means? It means that Jesus is God in his pre-existent time. He's always been God. He's fully God, but he didn't use his divine attributes or abilities for his advantage. That's what that means that he didn't use his divine ability, his, his, his godliness to exploit people for himself at all. But what did he do? But he emptied himself, meaning he gave up those, the privilege that he had by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The God of the universe, displayed his humility towards the world by not taking advantage of his divinity. Instead, he comes down and becomes a man. And not only does he become a man, verse eight, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What a display of humility. What a display of we. That Jesus didn't say, I'm just gonna stay up here. You guys are done for. But heaven invaded earth. Becomes a man, dies on the cross. Even death on a cross, the brutal death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, the one who has preeminence in the church, the number one in the church, the head of the church is not us, it's Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all and the head of the church. Church, he gets the glory, he gets the fame, not us. And that is our motivation to live we lives. It's about us, it's not about me because of what he did for me, because he died on the cross for me. I will humble myself, I will not create conflict, I will use my words to build. I will advance the kingdom because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but he deserves our praise. He deserves our worship. He deserves our adoration for that example that he set before us. And it's much more than an example. It's a reality that we live in and that we walk in every single day. We're able to walk in truth because of what he did on the cross, his life and his death and his resurrection. Let me pray. God, we love you. We thank you. For that example that you set before us, an example not like Diotrephes, you didn't say it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. You weren't selfish, you weren't egotistical, but you left heaven. You left those heavenly privileges and wrapped yourself in flesh. And in your life, you lived a perfect life, both in your actions and in your words. You had no sin. And you sacrificially died on the cross, submitting to the will of the Father, willingly and joyfully, to give us life, to give us hope, to give us freedom, to save us from the wrath to come. And that is why you have the name above every name, the name of Jesus, name of power, a name we adore, a name we sing about, a name we long to express on our lips from our hearts. You deserve our praise. You deserve our worship. God, we love you. We thank you. We adore you. May your children walk in truth today. And God, I pray if there's anyone here today that maybe not know, that doesn't know the truth, that you would draw them to you to know the truth. Because Jesus, you are the truth and the truth will set people free free from sin, free from spiritual death, 
and unto freedom and eternal life. God, we love you. We thank you. We honor you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.